Lord, we just pray over the word of the Lord tonight. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, the anointing, the glory of God would settle upon this word, the preaching of this word, and the Spirit of God, the anointing, is so strong, Lord, to captivate us right now and lock us in to give you our best ear and our full attention and really get focused right now. To get locked in and focused in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that as this word goes forth, Lord, it will be as living seeds of truth sown into good fertile soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. Anoint our eyes and ears. Help us have eyes and ears of the Spirit. Let your word be as light shining and dispelling any darkness or lies or deception of the enemy. Bring truth. Let your word, Lord, be a hammer that breaks down every stronghold and a sword that cuts away what needs to go. Lord, I ask you to let this word go forth and accomplish everything you sent it forth to do. We bind back any resistance and anything of the enemy that would try to steal the seed or hinder the word of God. We bind it in Jesus' name. We break its power in the name of Jesus. Right now, we just destroy that off. Every life that's going to be listening to this, we just break the power of the enemy. We destroy the works of the enemy. I feel that there's people that are going to be hearing this that really need to hear this word. So y'all agree with me. Father, we bind right now anything that's trying to blind the mind and deceive people. We break it off them right now in the sound of my voice. Those are going to be listening. Maybe listen to this driving down the road on the internet years from now. It doesn't matter. The, the things of God are not confined but to time and space. And we just break off you right now in Jesus' name. Whatever we try to hinder you from hearing and seeing and receiving what God has for you, we destroy it in the name of Jesus. We bind the enemy. We command it, goats in Jesus' name right now. And Lord, we ask you to let your spirit invade wherever people are. Let this atmosphere of heaven invade with fresh anointing. In Jesus' name, let your Holy Spirit captivate us. Lock our minds into what you're speaking. Tune our eyes into what we can have eyes of the Spirit to see. Tune our ears into hear. And help our hearts, Lord, line up with yours right now. We're in a place of being good fertile soil. We're able to receive. We thank you for it now. Lord, as you come speak through me, let everything be spoken in the way you want it spoken. In Jesus' name we pray. Lord, I'm going to talk about the kindness and the sternness of God. The scripture out of Romans. I believe this will be a foundational sermon for the days to come in River Blind. I believe this sermon will need to be recorded. It will need to be something that, that is kept away because down the road, we're going, to, we're going to have a lot of people that this type of sermon, they're going to need to hear this and we need to, to make sure that we're preaching this. This is, this is a... This is something that I want in the DNA and in the foundation of this ministry. It's something that really I have a heart for. Because how many of you guys know that there's there's a harvest field in the church world? It's not just outside the church. There's a lot of people. I want you all to hear my heart tonight. There's a lot of people. Not a few. And I'm going to show you it in the scriptures. You listen to their music. They're Christian artists. You listen to their music. You like their music. You like their their voice. You like their skills on instruments. You watch you watch them as they act in Christian movies, and you you like their characters they play, and and you see them on Christian television. You you hear their voice. They're out there, but unfortunately, many of them. 
behind closed doors, things are not right. And when it's all said and done, and they enter eternity, they're going to spend eternity in hell and not in heaven. And that's where I'm coming from tonight, because I want to make sure people are ready when the Lord calls them home, whether it's the rapture, whether it's uh, death, you know, should the Lord tarry, but I want people to be ready for His coming. Alright, so first I want to deal with the kindness of God. The Bible says in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And now He knows it's not God's will that anybody perish. He wants everybody to be saved. He loves people. You know, God could have looked down at humanity at any point in time in history and said, you know what, I've had enough. And He could have just allowed things to, to, to die out. He could have allowed humanity to self-destruct. He could have lifted His hand. I'm tired of this. I can't handle it. But God so loved the world. He's been so patient. Thousands of years since the fall of man. Thousands of years. As He's orchestrated everything to the day and time that we live today. And Christ's second coming is soon. But he's, he's worked throughout the ages to bring people unto Himself. God demonstrated His love for us, Romans 5 eight, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. <coughs> now look at the heart of the Father. And the Bible says that when you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. He said there was a man that had two sons, and the younger son said to his father, Give me my inheritance. He divided the wealth between them. Not many, not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country where he squandered everything. This was his inheritance. His father had worked hard for this provision. And he just squandered it. Now when he had spent everything, there was a severe famine that occurred in the country. He, he, became, he began to be impoverished. And he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. No one was giving anything to him. But he came to his senses and he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But here I am dying of hunger. He got up and went to his father. And he said to himself, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. And when he saw his father and he said that, his father saw him coming from a distance, the Bible says. And he yelled out quickly, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and now he's found. And he began to celebrate. And the son, no doubt, was expecting a lot of rejection when came to the father. But the father demonstrated his love to the son. And that's God's love for people. God cares about people. He has a heart for people. And when people come to him, his, his love and his patience is beyond what we can understand. I don't think that we'll ever, until we enter eternity, really understand the depth of God's love and the extent of His patience. How many of you have felt that God has been very patient with you? More patient than you've been with yourself and certainly more patient than other people would be with you. Thank God. Amen. Thank God that He's that way and He's, he's so loving. And Jesus, His heart of compassion for people 
Jesus went about, Matthew 9, 35, went about the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing all sickness and disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and they were scattered, and they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to one of his disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out his labors into the harvest field. But Jesus was moved with compassion. And, and I could just see him just weeping over the lost. And, and he came to seek and save the lost. So I want you to understand the love of God before I get into the sternness. Because it is God's incredible love for us. Even though we were horrible sinners. We've, we've done despicable things. We've, we've done things we're ashamed of. None of us want to get up here in front of everybody and tell our deepest, darkest sins. But God saw them when they happened. He knows about them. But yet, He's still willing to forgive us. He's still willing to love us. The incredible love of God. But if you're going to be somebody that preaches the whole counsel of God and you're going to be a real man of God and a real woman of God, you have to preach both sides of the coin. You have to preach the love of God, but you also have to preach the sternness of God. And I want people to hear me, no matter what you've done, God loves you and He wants to forgive you. He has a plan for your life. Come to Him. He'll forgive you. He wants to do a work in your life. Okay? But now, <clears throat> the cross of Jesus Christ, as ugly and as gory as that cross was, soaked in blood, a mutilated body, his mother barely could recognize him. It was an ugly thing to behold. The cross was, was a torture, it was horrible. It probably was much worse than the Passion of the Christ indicated it, not so much in the physical. I think that they got the physical right. I think it was that bad. But there's no way that they could adequately show the level of spiritual oppression and emotional torment that was there. Because you couldn't get you can't get inside of Jesus' head and understand when he said, My God, why have you forsaken me? The the weight of the sin of the world I mean, he knows that our own personal weight is heavy enough of our sin. But the incredible power of the cross, where God and man collide. And it's at the cross, the cross in many ways is a sword that divides between those that will come under God's mercy and His love and those that will come under His wrath. And I mean His wrath. Romans 11.22 says, Behold then the kindness and the severity or the sternness of God. To those who fail severity, but to you God's kindness. But listen to this, if you continue in His kindness, otherwise you will also be cut off. If it's okay with you tonight, and I know it is, I'm going to preach it straight. And just tell it like it is. And we'll read the scriptures. And um, this is just the way it is. But let me read that again. Behold the kindness, that's the love of God, but also the severity of God. To those who fell, severity, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in His kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. There are three kinds of people. 
There are those that know the Lord, and because they know the Lord, they live righteously. 1 John 3, starting with verse 4, says, Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. I mean, as Jesus, His body did not decay in the tomb because Jesus' body had no sin. Verse 6, no one who abides in him sins. Now I want you to remember that through this whole sermon because it's all about abiding in him. I'm going to end this thing with abiding in him. Nobody who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure that no one deceives you. Listen to this. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared is for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God, everybody say, born of God, practices sin. Because what? God's seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Why isn't this preached? This is just as much in the Bible as anything else that's in the Bible. Amen? I mean, this is just as relevant. But this is not preached today. By this, you will know the children of God. By this, you'll know the children of the devil. The one who practices righteousness is of God and the one who does not practice righteousness is not of God nor the one who does not love his brother this is straight from the scriptures friend. there's the other type of first off those that know the Lord and live righteously they know him my sheep know my voice Jesus said they know him they have an abiding relationship you've got to develop that relationship with him where somebody can ask you, what's the Lord been speaking to you? And you can answer the question and say, well, he's been speaking to me about this. I mean, we've got to know him and know his voice. And also, we've got to live a righteous life. Then there are these type of people, number two. Those that want the world and Christ, but they're not living right. They want the world, but they also want Christ. There's some people that they literally, they want to have one foot in the kingdom of God and they want to be able to say they're a Christian, go to church, but they want their other foot to be in the world and they still want to enjoy the world. And let me just tell you, even though you may think that that'll get a, you know, that'll fly on judgment day, it won't. God will not accept that. You may accept it. Some of your friends may accept it. And we all know there's going to be churches that accept it. But God does not accept that. And on Judgment Day, those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. I'm just telling you like it is. You've got to choose this day who you're going to serve. God wants your whole life or nothing. He doesn't want half your life. I'm just telling you. God has never accepted that sacrifice. In the Old Testament time, in the book of Malachi, God got very angry with the priests because they were bringing blind, lame diseased animals into the temple and were sacrificed. God never accepts that type of sacrifice. 
people come to God and those that, that have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world, they're like that blind, um, diseased animal coming to God is, and they say, Lord, I lay my life on, on the altar as a living sacrifice, but they're not right. They're like that diseased sacrifice. God has never accepted that sacrifice and He never will. He wants all of us. So let me back it up with Scripture. Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from the bushes, nor thorns, or, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, and every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, listen, this is all through Scripture, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everything that's planted was planted by the Lord. And the Lord says this in verse 21, Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Did everybody see that? These people call Jesus Lord. Many, not a few, verse 22, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. In your name we cast out demons. In your name we performed many miracles. You can't do those things unless you're a Christian. If you don't believe me, tell a non-Christian to go cast out demons. They won't believe. I mean, they, they respond to the authority of the believer. But Jesus said, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practices lawlessness. Number one, I never knew you. That's what I'm trying to say tonight. I never, the Lord says, I never knew you. Do you have a relationship with him? And then he said, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The practicing of lawlessness are those that lived in unrepentant sin. These are those that have one foot in the kingdom and one in the world and think that they can get away with it. But they'll find on judgment day that the Lord will say to them, I never knew you, depart from me you who practice lawlessness and they'll find themselves in hell if they don't repent then there's the third group of people first you've got those that know the Lord and live righteously second you've got those that are playing games one foot in the world one foot in, you know, try, in the kingdom trying to live this dual life it's not going to work third those that just flat out reject Jesus Christ they come to the cross, 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Let me read that again. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, and that's a proper translation, it is the power of God. We are in a process of working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're in a process of abiding in Christ. Amen? I'm going to drop some grenades into some false doctrine that's sending literally thousands and thousands of people to heaven tonight. For it's written, verse 19, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. So the Lord brings the preaching of the cross with such simplicity that there are people out there that just will flat out reject Jesus Christ. 
And how many of you guys know that not everybody that comes to church knows the Lord or lives a holy life? The first thing I want to ask is why do some people even come to Christ? If people are coming to the Lord with a motive of the heart to just get somebody off their back, their mom, their dad, their grandparent is bugging them about giving their life to Christ. There's somebody that's witnessing to them and is really pressuring them to give their life to Christ. And so just to get somebody off their back and say, okay, I'll say this prayer, I'll give my life to the Lord. They don't even really truly mean it in their heart. They're just trying to get people off their case. Is the motive of the heart just to have hell insurance? And that alone, where they don't want to spend eternity in hell. Granted that that needs to get people in the door, but that's not going to keep you. You understand that? Let me just talk about hell for just a minute. I want everybody to give, give me your undivided attention here. Look, God didn't make hell for people. He made it for the devil. So you can only imagine how bad hell's really going to be. If it was made for the devil... Hell is a place where there's absolutely no presence of God. People feel totally isolated and alone. You've never, you can't even imagine the depression and the sorrow, the mental, the mental torment and oppression. The Bible says that they're burning continually with fire, but they don't die. There's, it talks about the worm eating at them and not dying. Think about how the the worst. Those of you I pray as Christians, you don't watch these things anymore. But those that have seen these slasher movies in the past. The worst slasher movie ever being a reality. The, the, the torment from demonic spirits torturing people. The fear. And there's no comfort. There's no relief. God doesn't want that for people. He sent Jesus to die this horrible death. He doesn't want people to go there. But I'm going to tell you that there are many that will be there because they refuse to give their life to Christ. And even if they do give their life to the Lord, they refuse to obey His commands and live a righteous life. And let me tell you, just being afraid of hell alone will not keep you. You're, at some point in time, you're going to have to fall in love with the Lord. Because fear of hell is not going to sustain you your whole life. There's going to have to come a point in time that's a good way to get in the door. But once you get in, you've got to start developing this relationship with the Lord. And once you love the Lord, Jesus said that if you love me, you'll keep my commands. But it comes out of your love for the Lord. Is the motive that you come to Christ just to have a better life or to feel better about yourself? You know what I mean? People, it's a joke. People out there feel like that they're doing God a favor or something by coming to church? Do, do people really believe that? But they do. I think they do. It's so ridiculous and absurd to think that they're doing some, God some kind of favor because they come to church. Listen, God's moving in church as an incredible mercy and grace for this sinful world. And by His Spirit, He's, he's drawn people unto Him. It's His love. And to think that people have the audacity to actually think, well, I'll just stroll into church sometime and do God a favor and, and I'll, I'll pay my dues and then I'll leave out of here feeling better about myself because I did something good. Those that come to Christ just for a better life or to feel better about themselves. That's not going to keep you. 
It's important that we don't try to force conversions and produce false converts. It's important that you're not twisting people's arms and trying to, to make them serve the Lord. God never does that. He gives people an opportunity. Remember this throughout this whole sermon. God never takes away your free will. By your free will, you come to Christ. And by your free will, you can walk away from Christ. Just because you come to Christ doesn't mean all of a sudden now, God erases, that takes this big eraser and erases your free will, that you're some kind of spiritual robot that, that doesn't even make decisions anymore. Forget that. You have the free will to come to Him. You have the free will to walk away from Him. You have the free will to live a righteous life. You have the free will to live in sin. And God's not going to twist your arm either way. He's going to let you make decisions. But your decisions will, will determine where you spend eternity. And let me just warn you as a preacher of the gospel. And Jesus said there's a narrow way that leads to life and few find it. He said, but there's a broad way that leads to destruction. He's talking about hell and many find it. How many people tonight, while you're here listening to the word of the Lord being preached, this is what you want to do with your Saturday night. Praise God. But how many thousands and thousands of people are getting drunk tonight? Or sitting across a bar salivating, ready to go have sex with somebody they're not married to tonight. Broad is the way that leads to destruction in many parts. We have got to preach the Word of God and let the Spirit of God invade people's lives. It's only the Holy Spirit moving in people that will produce true converts. You understand that? You cannot intellectually debate them in. Good luck. If you want to try that, that's fine. But I guarantee you, you're going to find maybe one out of a thousand that will work with. And they may not even stick with it. It's got to be the Spirit of God that convicts people and draws them in. And the Spirit of God is the one who changes you. And let me tell you something. We've got to preach the new birth. Jesus, when Nicodemus came to him, he said, look at the wind. And you could see the wind moving the tree branches. You could feel the wind. And he said, the Spirit of God is like the wind. You don't know where he's coming and going. And then he's talking about a new birth. He said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, how in the world am I supposed to crawl back into my mom's womb? And, come, and, and the Lord, and Jesus said, now listen, Nicodemus, it's not a physical birth. It's a spiritual birth. And let me tell you something. How many people out there have come down and they said some little prayer and, and, and they made some kind of little commitment and they went to church, they went to vacation Bible school, they went to youth group, they went to youth camp and all this stuff. All of that's fine, but if they're not born again, they're not going to be in heaven. It's a, born, it's a new birth and what a born again experience is, is that you are now a child of God because the Spirit of God comes inside of you and your human spirit is made alive. Christ DNA goes down into your spiritual DNA and you are a different person. You understand? But let me say that again. Christ DNA goes down into your spiritual DNA. You are reborn. You went from a dead spirit to a living spirit. It's inside of you. It is a supernatural thing that you cannot conjure up. You cannot make it happen. You can't manipulate it. Only God can do it. It's supernatural. And it's the born-again experience is a true conversion. It's not like any, mini money, mo. I pick Christianity. That's what I am. That does, it's not going to work on Judgment Day. 
Well, my parents were Christians, fine, but that's not going to get you into heaven. Well, I, you know, I sing in the choir, I do this, and I take communion. You can go to hell for listen to me. With baptismal water still dripping off your face, you could have got out of the baptismal, went back, somehow died. You can go to hell with baptismal waters. You can go to hell with a communion wafer still in your mouth. You can go to hell wearing a choir robe. None of that stuff's going to save you. It's just religious activity. There's got to be a new birth. Where the old things pass away and everything becomes new, you're a different person. That is what First John was talking about when he said that those that are born of God cannot continue to live in sin because God's seed is in them. The DNA of Christ is in them. And they cannot continue to live a sinful life because the Holy Spirit refrains them. The Holy Spirit convicts them. The Spirit of God makes them miserable in their sin. But I'm going to tell you something. The Spirit of God does not take away your free will. And if you, if you say basically to the Holy Spirit, quit that, I'm still going to do it, then the Holy Spirit will let you do it. And if you keep doing it, you're going to get more and more entrenched in that sin, more and more in bondage to the place to where one day you've hardened your own heart, you've seared your own conscience, you've crossed some kind of a line, and now you're on your way to hell. I'm going to show you that in the Scriptures. You better listen to the Holy Ghost. He's the best friend you got right now. Trust me. Why do people even come to church? I've seen this with my eyes. I'm not just saying it. Some people come because they want to find a wife or a husband. There's nothing wrong with finding a wife and a husband in church. There's probably not a better place to find them. But if that's why you come, there's something wrong with you. You need to be coming because you love Jesus. Is everybody hearing me? Some people come, well, because it's fun to hang out with my friends in church. There's nothing wrong with that. We need friends. But if that's why you come, then there's something wrong. That's a byproduct. Some people like the social club atmosphere. They Maybe they love certain programs. They, they love the men's ministry. They love the intern program. They love the youth ministry. They love to get involved with certain things. And, and that's how they like to spend their time. Wonderful. There's nothing wrong with spending your time doing those things. But I'm going to tell you, the Lord knows the heart of people. And when He comes and His sword will come into a place, those that are not His will be cut out. The Lord's not playing. I remember back whenever Moses and the, and the whole golden calf um, fiasco that happened under Aaron's administration while Moses was away with God. And we know the story. You can only imagine how ugly and dumb looking that calf was that Aaron tried to make on his own. But they made this dilapidated, probably cockeyed, weird-looking calf, one leg shorter than the other, you know, all messed up looking. And they're worshiping this thing. (laughs) The anger of God was aroused. Moses comes down, loses his temper, shouldn't have done this, threw the stone that God wrote with his finger on the ground. Anyway, he ground the calf up, he stuck it in the water, made him drink it. But here's what happened. He had a temper tantrum, okay? But God was okay with it. And here's what Moses said. He said, everybody that's for the Lord, come here with me. The Levites ran to him. Listen to me. Then Moses said, this this is what the Lord says. Moses said, strap a sword and go through and start killing every person that's not with the Lord. The Levites, Levites drew their sword and began to go through and began to kill all these Israeli people that didn't come over on the side of the Lord. And I believe that probably is why God chose the Levites to be priests, but that's another sermon. But listen, here's the message. When the sword of the Lord came, there was a clear distinction who was with God and who wasn't. 
These were all the Jewish people. These were all people of covenant. But some of them died in the wilderness in their sin. You see what I'm saying? The sword of the Lord was released. And I'm going to tell you, God's sword is, is brandished in these last days. And He is going to come through and clean house. If you know anything about the Bible, you'll remember when Jesus came in and made a whip and drove out the money changers. And listen, after Jesus cleaned house, after Jesus cleaned house, Jesus lost his temper, so to speak, in a holy way. It wasn't unrighteous anger, it was holy anger. He made him a whip, he went through there, he drove them out, started throwing their money and everything every which direction, people running from it. After he cleaned house and drove all that out of the temple, then you read later, not long after that, that he came into the temple preaching and healing the sick, delivering the captives, and revival broke out after he cleaned house. The Lord will come to his church and he'll cut out people that need to go. He'll deal with sin in the camp. One of the reasons why I'm still on this healing ministry, but this is the sermon for tonight. I've got to obey the Holy Spirit. But one of the reasons why I dealt with that witchcraft in the church is because not every not every place is right with God, and God's not going to send revival. You have to let the Lord come in and clean house first, and then the healings and miracles come. You see what I'm saying? If things are not in order, the Lord's not going to come. If the, if there's division, He's not going to come. That's why Jesus said whenever you go two by two out there and you go to a house, say, peace be into this house. But he said, if it's not a place of peace, the peace will come back on you, but you go somewhere else. The Lord was telling them, don't stop and stay somewhere unless there's peace that can come in that house. So we know if Jesus taught that to his disciples, that the place in the scriptures where Jesus had set in this man's house. Can you imagine living in that time and Jesus picked your house? He's sitting in the guy's living room. He's preaching. And the Bible says the power of the Lord was present to heal the sick. It says that. They got desperate. They ripped a hole in the roof. They lowered a crippled man down who was healed. But listen, you know as well as I do, Jesus would not have picked that house unless that house was right. That house had to be in order and there had to be peace in that house. There had to be unity. Because Jesus had already told his disciples, if you go somewhere and you say peace and it's not it's not right, then don't stay there. Your peace will come back on you. Go somewhere else. So you know that house was right. What I'm trying to say is, we want healings and miracles. I do. I know you do too. We want revival. I do too. Things have got to be right. God will not do it if it's not right. You have to be willing to put your house in order. And you've got to be willing to keep the unity. And that means getting rid of some people that are divisive. You've got to do whatever it takes to get that house right. Jesus went through there and ran out the money changers with a whip. That's why I preach that in the healing series. Because we, we want healings. We want revival like never before. But things have got to be right. And people have got to realize they've got to be right in their hearts. You know, God God is judging. He's, he's, he's looking. And He wants us to ever go deeper in Him. But I'm going to tell you something. The Lord is calling unto people to go deeper in Him. But I wonder who's hearing. The wonderful man of God. I love his ministry. He had a vision years ago. And he saw the Lord. He, him and several other people were walking with Jesus like the disciples. And Jesus began to walk faster. 
And as he did, he was, okay, he started catching up with the Lord. And he realized that even though he was catching up and there was a few that were, there were people getting left behind. Jesus started walking faster again. More people got left behind. Pretty soon, Jesus was walking so fast, he was the only one still with him. We've got to be willing to go deeper in Christ. We've got to be willing to say, Lord, I've never in my life been convicted about this stuff here, but I feel now that you're convicting me and you're wanting to take me deeper in you, and so I'm willing to give up whatever I need to give up. I just want to be with you and I want to be right with you. I want to go deeper in your presence and deeper in a relationship with you. How many really are willing to do that? You know what part of the problem is? The lack of, of the Holy Spirit's conviction and the lack of the move of the Spirit of God in churches. That's the main problem right there. You can't make you can't sit up here and browbeat people about living holy. You can preach the truth, but listen to me. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes and He heals people so that they can be free. He delivers them from the demonic. He, he sets their hearts on fire where they're in love with Jesus. He puts a hunger in them for the things of God. He's the one that draws people into Christ. And if you have dead religion and you're up there just griping at people because they're not living right and you don't have the Holy Spirit in your ministry to help them, it's not going to really be fruitful. People need the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome things. You cannot overcome it in your flesh. You can't overcome it with just mental, um, you know, just sitting here trying to do it in your mind, just saying willpower, I can do this. That's not going to work. You've got to have the Spirit of God help you to overcome things. Jesus said in John 14, 16, I will ask of the Father and He'll give you another helper. How many knows the Holy Spirit is our helper? He's our comforter. He's our counselor. And Jesus said, He may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth. The world cannot receive Him because it does not see Him or know Him. But you know Him because He abides with you and He will be in you. He was speaking to His disciples before He died on the cross. To us today, the Holy Spirit, if you're a true Christian, He is in you. He is with you and He lives in you. You are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. John 16, 8 says, When the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus said, When He comes, He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. We need the Spirit of God in our services to convict. How many of you guys can say you've been in a River of Life service and we preached on something totally altogether different, but you left out there and you felt convicted about something in your heart? It wasn't even preached on, but in your heart, you knew that something needed to change. How many of you felt that before? Why? Because the Holy Spirit did it. I've had people come up to me and go, Pastor, I really like what you said. And then they said something. I I know for a fact I did not say that. But the Holy Spirit said it to me. The Holy Spirit's a lot bigger than any preacher. You know, He'll say things that the preacher's not saying. That's what the person hears. That's what they need to hear. But listen to this, concerning sin. Because listen... Jesus said he'll convict the world concerning sin because they don't believe in me. In other words, the Holy Spirit is the one that causes people to believe in Christ. No man can come to the Father except what the Spirit draws. Whenever Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted by who? The Spirit. It's the Spirit that brings conviction and draws people into Christ. 
Dr. Cho, I love what he used to say. He'd go out preaching. People want to beat him up. His, his mother-in-law went out preaching. Her mate cried. She said the same thing. He said, what's wrong with you, woman? What is going on? She said, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. He went out, hugged a tree. He, that's what he said. He stayed out there. He said, I'm not leaving God till you fill me with your spirit and baptize me in the Holy Ghost. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues. He came back. He said, when he went out preaching, now people cried. It, something changed. Before, when he preached, he got on people's nerves. Now when he preached, people cry. The Spirit of God makes all the difference. The anointing makes all the difference. And then Jesus goes on to say, the Holy Spirit will, um, concerning righteousness, he'll judge concerning righteousness because I go to the Father. What he's saying is, is Jesus was saying, I've been the one that's teaching you right from wrong. But I go to the Father. And I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to teach you righteousness. And let me give you some advice about the Holy Spirit. When He convicts you, deal with it right then. Don't put it off. Kenneth Hagin said he stayed sensitive to the Holy Spirit because he would do something he shouldn't do. And he said right then the Holy Spirit would convict him and he would right then he would go off and pray, Lord, forgive me, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Forgive me, wash me in your blood. And he stayed sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You see, when the Holy Spirit convicts you and you don't deal with it, it can harden you. And then he went on to say in verse 12, Jesus said, I have many more things to say to you, but you can't bear them now. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. He does not speak on his own, but when he hears, he speaks. Listen, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will open you up to revelation. How many of you want to know God's voice? You want to know, you want to, you want to feel his, his nearness. You want to hear him when he speaks. You want to see things. You want to have revelation in your life. It's only going to come by the Spirit of God. Revelation 1.4 says, John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who, who was and who is to come and the seven spirits who are before the throne. The Holy Spirit comes as the seven spirits. I've preached on it many times. I'm just running through it. He comes as the Spirit of the Lord. He comes as the Spirit of wisdom. He comes as the Spirit of revelation. The Spirit of counsel and might, knowledge, and what? The fear of the Lord. Now I'm going to get into that in a moment. But when he comes, Isaiah 11, 1 describes all those attributes. But listen to what Isaiah 11, 1 through 3 says. It says this, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on Jesus. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the counsel, might knowledge, fear of the Lord. And listen, it says about Jesus in verse 3, And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Did you know that Jesus delights in the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is not a bad thing. When I was growing up, I had a, I was a little boy. I had a good, healthy fear of my dad in his belt. And because of that, today I'm not a criminal. I'm a pastor. I'm just telling you. Are you hearing me? Let me tell you, there's a rebellious streak out there in humanity right now in these last days. It's even in the church. People get mad. They, they don't like you talking about wives submitting their husbands and men rising up and leading. Because the, some of the men are so rebellious, they don't want to do that. Some of the wives are so rebellious, they don't want to do what the Bible says. And I quote, submit in everything as unto the Lord. They don't want to do that. And they get irritated when you preach about it. I'm going to tell you, I am not going to stop preaching the Word of God. I don't care who it makes me. You know, and I thank God I had good parents. There's some, there's some lousy parents out there today. Lousy. They, they don't raise their kids. They don't even care about disciplining their kids. Anymore. If you love your kids, you know which kids need some corporal discipline and love. Some of you need it. 
And then there's other kids that don't need that. They just need a good talking to and grounding or whatever, and they're just real sensitive, and they'll go cry, and they'll change. And, you know, you, everybody knows their kids. But let me tell you something. It's your job as a parent to, to break that rebellion and garbage out of them and raise them in the ways of God. And don't let anybody tell you different. These humanistic, carnal-minded, worldly people out there, I'll tell you, they're trying to, to take away any type of order and any type of structure of the Bible. And you know what you're seeing in these last days? You're seeing great rebellions. Great rebellion where you have like homosexuality, for example. God creates male and female even in the animal kingdom. I mean, it's, it's, it's the creation itself is created with male and female. Reproducing. I mean, it's not hard. But, but it's like this, this perversion, this iniquity gets in people. They may be demonic influence as well. And all of a sudden now, it's a homosexual thing. It's, it's a great rebellion against God and His order and creation. Great rebellion. And you see it, God made Adam first, then Eve. There's an order in the family. And it's a great rebellion against God when things are out of order because that's the way God created the order. Is this making sense? When God created woman, you know as well as I do, there's a nurturing in woman to, to love and take care of children. How is it that a woman can murder a baby in her womb and feel okay with it? That's a great rebellion against creation itself because God, even sinners, have some kind of a natural instinct. Even the animal kingdom has a natural instinct to nurture and protect and take care of their young. Y'all hearing me? Anyway. But satanic attack, listen, we're going to have to be willing to endure persecution and satanic attack. If you're a true Christian, let me just tell you this as clear as a man can speak. You will be persecuted. There are people, because you're a Christian, that won't like you because you're a Christian. Do y'all understand that? You know how many people are going to fall away because their friends and their family turn against them and because they're hated and they're disliked and all of a sudden now there's this great persecution coming against them and they can't stand it. But when you read the parable of the seed and the sower, it says this, Jesus said that there were some, the seed fell on rocky places and it didn't have good soil. And when affliction or persecution arose, because of the Word of God, they fell away. You're going to have to get some roots down in you. You're going to have to determine in yourself that you love the Lord more than you love acceptance. What about the people? I hope you are hearing me today. What about the people right now in Iraq that the only reason that they're being having their heads cut off, their throats slit, they're being beaten and they're being hung on crosses and killed, the only reason is because they're a Christian. There are people in North Korea that are imprisoned and tortured because they're Christian. That's the only reason. All through history, there's been a hatred toward God's people. Are you willing to endure hardships as a good soldier? Are you willing to be persecuted for your faith? I hope so. But I wonder how many people as the days roll on. And there's going to be a day, possibly before the rapture, where people have to take a mark to be able to buy and sell. How many people will sell out? I promise you, there'd be a surprising amount. The Bible clearly shows it. Revelation 3.5 says, Him that overcomes will be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase or blot out his name from the book of life. 
I will confess His name before my Father and before the angels. But we have to overcome. Are you hearing these scriptures? We've got to overcome. But it shows there that somebody's name can be blotted out. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, The Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith, they will abandon the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. There's going to be people that because of deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons will abandon the faith. 2 Thessalonians 2.3 Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. 2 Thessalonians 2.3 Let no one deceive you. First, before the Antichrist is revealed, there's going to be a falling away, an apostasy. What that means, apostasy means that people walked with Christ and now have turned their back on That's what it means. In the Greek, it's apostasia. It means that before the Lord comes, His sword is going to come in the earth. He's going to come to His church and His temple. And He's going to say, some of these churches over here are so corrupt and so perverted now. They're so wicked that they're not even a lampstand anymore. We don't even acknowledge them any longer as being a church that's a part of this kingdom of God. Their lampstand is going to be removed. Other churches that still have their lampstand in place, the Lord is going to come with His sword and He's going to see who's for Him, who's against Him, who's the real deal and who's not the real deal. And He's going to come clean house and drive out of His temple those that are hypocrites and fakes. And I'm going to tell you when He does, then great revival is going to come to that house. You have to be willing to be proven through trials and persecution. Are you willing to be proven? Let me tell you something. Whenever you go out witnessing, <clears throat> the early church, Peter and John, were drugged before the Sanhedrin. This was a scary thing. I think sometimes people read this and they don't understand because they've got an American mentality. This was a scary thing. This, I mean... James at one time had his head cut off, okay? They were drugged before the Sanhedrin and they said, the Sanhedrin told them, you will no longer preach in the name of Jesus. We forbid you. These were the same people that had Christ crucified. And Peter being filled with the Spirit, you've got to be filled with the Spirit to have boldness like this, stood up and said, look, you judge for yourself if it's right for us to obey you instead of God. And so they took them out and they had them flogged. That's beaten. They took sticks. They beat them with sticks. That's what flogging was. And Peter and John came out of there after being flogged and beaten. And it says that they were rejoicing on their way home. It says this in the Bible. They were rejoicing and thanking God that they were counted worthy to suffer for His name. But some of you, when you go out witnessing, and I'm being serious, and somebody somebody cusses you out, they, they flip you off, they you know, whatever... And, and they hate you. What, you need to take a moment. And you need to walk off by yourself and thank the Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm counted worthy to have this little bit of suffering here in America where such a little bit of persecution. Now, thank you, Lord. I'm able to go through a little bit of rejection for your name's sake. A little bit of persecution in this life. And do what the Bible says to do and rejoice. And then whenever you witness and people are receptive and they accept the Lord, then all of the, the Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. God's rejoicing so you can rejoice that somebody got saved. But either way, you're a winner. You either rejoice because you were persecuted or you rejoice because somebody got saved. But either way, you rejoice. Amen? 
Didn't Jesus say that we count it all joy when you go through these things because He said your reward is in heaven. People will persecute you. People will malign you. People will speak against you. People will use you and abuse you. But He said rejoice because great is your reward in heaven. True Christians, y'all hear me? True Christians are willing to die to the flesh. Leonard Ravenhill used to say that there's people that hang around the cross, but true Christians get on the cross. True Christianity is willing to die to the flesh and its desires. How do you die to the flesh? You pray, you spend time with the Lord. That's how you do it. You get up and you pray, you spend time in His presence, and your flesh will die, your spirit will be ignited with fire, and you'll be able to walk in the Spirit. True Christians will be convicted with worldliness. James 4.4 says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Those that choose to be friends of the world become enemies of God. You understand that worldliness is not permissible in the kingdom. I'm not going to bog down too much on this because I believe you guys know this, but with some of the filth that you see in Christendom right now, where people dress provocative and seductive like the world, people cuss like the world, people get tattoos and piercings like the world, people, people are, are watching the filth that's out there just like the world. I'm going to tell you something. God's not winking at it. God's not overlooking it. The Holy Spirit is grieved. And I'm going to tell you, it's not right with God. God wants His people to be holy. Okay? And this rebellious, wicked generation will listen to preaching like this and say, you're just religious. You know what that is? My response to that, you're just a rebel. You're just a rebel. You don't want anybody telling you what you can and can't do. You're going to pervert and twist the Scriptures to make whatever you want to do be acceptable in your own eyes. But you're just a rebel. But worldliness has got to be confronted. And God wants His people to live a holy life set apart from worldliness. Now I'm going to tell you something right now. There's enough worldliness in church and Christendom right now without adding to it. There's so much evil. People go to church and they'll sit there and worship the latest worship song, go home and watch movies. People are taking their clothes off and having sex and they're totally fine with it. Come on. And they're sitting there looking with lust and salivating. It's, it's wrong. They're looking with lust. I mean, it's a hypocritical double standard life. But listen to this. Now it's going to step further. In our society now, there's a movement to legalize drugs. Did you know that in the New Testament, it's very clear that the word sorcery is pharmakeia. It's where we get our word drugs from. You do understand that drug use has always been connected to sorcery and witchcraft. Always. And you do understand that these crackheads out there, these drug users, God loves them and wants to save them. I pray they come in and get saved. But you do realize there's an aspect of sorcery that's connected to what they're doing. In the Bible, it's very clear. Now I'm going to tell you something. As, as they start legalizing things like marijuana and people start doing this, and they're coming to church, and they're doing. There's, you're going to see something begin to creep into some churches. Is there some churches that are so wide open to whatever right now? I mean, people people are totally living in sin as it is, and then now they're probably going to start allowing marijuana. I mean, they already allowed their beer parties in the church, here. so they're going to allow their little marijuana parties. Let me tell you something: they have no idea some of these powerful occult spirits connected to sorcery that they're going to welcome right into their church. 
True Christians cannot remain in a lifestyle of sin. I preached a sermon. I preached this in Finland. And uh, it was awesome to see what God did. 1 Corinthians 6.9, Galatians 5.19, and Revelation 21.8 breaks down six categories of sins to ensure your, yourself a place in hell. I preached this in Finland. Listen, I had some guy get mad at me. Listen, there's six things that can ensure you a place in hell if you want to write these down. If you want to go to hell, let me tell you how, right? Number one, the worship of other gods, idols, and the occult, but the worship of other gods. That includes witchcraft, the occult. Number two, sexual sins. You do understand that the only sex God permits is a husband and wife in marriage. That's it. Masturbation, pornography is sin. Sex outside of marriage with your boyfriend and girlfriend shacked up, that's sin. Adultery is sin. Okay? Obviously, homosexual behavior. All that's sin. So sexual sins, without a doubt, will send you to hell. Number three, dishonesty. Did you know the Bible says all liars will have their place in the lake of fire? That's a scary thought for some people. I've met some people that lie when the truth sounds a lot better. And you're thinking, what's wrong with you, man? Why? But they're in bondage to a lying spirit or something. Seriously, that's in the Bible. There's a lying spirit. I've seen some people, I'm going, why are you lying about this? I mean, compulsive lying. They're just in bondage to it. Another one is drunkards. I'm concerned about all the drinking out there now. The next one is covetous. These are people that envy and, and, and they have a love of money about them. And then the, the last one is murderers. The Bible says, well, clearly abortion's murder, but the Bible says that hate in the heart is even murder. Unforgiveness. Remember me telling you about that man that was raised from the dead under Bonke's ministry and, and he went to hell and they asked him, well, he, the man in hell asked the angel, why am I here in hell? And he was seeing other Christians there in hell. He saw a preacher saying, I'll just give back the money. Just give me another chance to give back the money. And he was there seeing these people in hell. And he was wondering why I'm in hell. And he asked the angel. And the angel told him, he said, you're in hell because of the fact that you refuse to forgive people. And therefore, your sins were not forgiven. That's in Mark chapter 11. Perverted grace teaching. Romans chapter 6 says, do not use God's grace as a license to sin. I'm grieved that the there there is you talking about clueless about this subject of grace. There is almost no understanding right now in a lot of the body of Christ. Grace is not what people say it is. Okay, God's mercy is where we deserve wrath. We deserve hell, but God, in His incredible mercy, pardons our sin. That's mercy. Grace means it's undeserved favor. That means that God has allowed His Holy Spirit to live in you and to be with you and to empower you to overcome sin. That's what grace is. It's His His undeserved favor on your life. His undeserved favor is His Spirit on us. His Spirit in us. We don't deserve that. But His Holy Spirit gives us the grace. He gives us the strength to overcome sin. If there's a perversion out there of grace teaching that teaches that you can live in sin and still go to heaven when you die. I'm going to tell you that that is not the case. Amen? And then you've got 2 Timothy 4.3. You've got tickling ear sermons where people just tell people what they want to hear. And they draw the masses. Giving people a false hope is a horrible thing. I don't ever... I would much rather get up here and preach and then somebody sit out there and go, man, I hope I'm saved. And then they come down and pray and get right. But God, I would much rather that happen. 
than for people to leave out and say, I'm fine just like I am and go to hell. What good will it do, preacher, on Judgment Day if you influence 5,000 people but only 500 of them made it into the kingdom? What good will it be? Praise God for the 500. But I ask you, what about the 4,500 that listen to you? I think the way the Lord judges things is a lot different than the way man judges things. Don't you think in God's eyes, the pastor that influenced maybe 500 and all of them made it in? is going to be judged much less severe than the one that influenced 5,000 and only had 10% make it into the kingdom. But in this life, the one who influenced the more and had more money is the one that everybody thinks is God's man. You see what I'm saying? Live for eternity. A healthy fear of God. This is how I want to close. We've got to maintain a healthy fear of God. I love the Lord. And I know the Lord loves me. He's patient. All the, I believe me, I know. Okay. But I have not lost a healthy fear and respect and reverence for the Lord. I know that tomorrow, if I chose to live a sinful life and not repent, but stay on that path of sin, I know that I would go to hell. And I would deserve every minute of it. I know that God loves me, but I know that He will not put up with any hypocrisy from me just like He won't from anybody else. There's a healthy fear of God. 1 John 4, 13. And this is how I want to close this. It says, By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testified the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in Him and He is in God. Are y'all getting this abide in? I'm going to explain that. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this, love is perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as He is, so also we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And I'm going to explain that in a moment. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears is not perfect in love. Do you see that in context? God wants us to keep a healthy fear of Him. But fear has to do with punishment. And when you're abiding in Christ and you have an ever-living relationship with Him every day and you know that when His Spirit convicts you of sin and you deal with it right then, you know you deal with it right then, and you're abiding in Him and you're walking with Him, you're not living in a constant fear of punishment and going to hell because you're abiding in Him. Does this make sense? If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he does not love his brother whom God... I'm sorry. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. This is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. I'm going to give you some scriptures about the healthy fear of God. God wants us to have a healthy fear, a healthy respect, and a reverence. Reverencing His house, reverencing His presence. You know, when you come in here to His presence, you don't want to be flipping about things. You're in the presence of God. You understand that? 
And, and whenever you're uh, and the preaching of the word is going forth, I appreciate how reverent you are toward the preaching of the word right now. But there's people that just don't care. They sit back and just mock. Let me give you a few scriptures. Listen, Matthew 12, 32. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. I don't understand for the life of me how intelligent people have complicated and made so difficult the blasphemy of the Spirit. It's not hard. It's not. It says right here, Whoever speaks against the Spirit will not be forgiven in this age or in the age to come. The blasphemy of the Spirit is speaking against the Spirit. When Jesus was casting out demons, the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders, said, You're doing this because you're demon-possessed. They were calling the Holy Spirit a demon. And Jesus, and Jesus I'm not demon-possessed. I don't have a demon. And they said, You're doing this by the power of demons, like sorcery. They were saying, You're doing this like a witch. And Jesus says, I'm not doing this by the power of demons. I'm doing this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then as he went on, he explained a little bit later and says, You can speak against me and you'll be forgiven. But if you speak against the Spirit, you won't be forgiven in this age or in the age to come. And he was talking about the blasphemy of the Spirit. Listen, be careful how you are toward the Holy Spirit. He's holy. Reverence His presence. Don't speak against Him. And be careful about being critical. Just because you don't understand something, don't sit there with your arms folded like an arrogant critic sitting back saying that's of the devil when you don't even know what you're talking about. You need to be slow about those sort of things. Okay? Hebrews 10.26 says, If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there remains no longer a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severe of a punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. Listen, God wants us to have a healthy fear of Him. I remember there was a time I was trying to be a light on the internet, and, and anyway, and there was these so-called Christian forums. They're not Christian. A lot of these people don't know the Lord. They they, they cuss. The, the way they are is horrible. And I remember just all I did was I just copied and pasted scriptures in there, and how people just began to attack. And I remember just looking at it, shaking my head, going, all I did was copy and paste the Bible. You claim to be a Christian. They're not, they're not saved. And the Lord spoke to me, and I believe that, that God was trying to use me there, but the Lord finally spoke to me and said, quit throwing pearls before swine. And I said, forget this. Hebrews 6, verse 1. Now, this is a good one. You ready? Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. These are. This is. Let me give you right now, first grade. Already, first grade is this: a, found, a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith toward God, instruction about washings or baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. These things are baby teachings. 
But he goes into verse 4 and he says, For in the case of those who have once been, listen to this, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, that means that they've been convicted by the Spirit. Somebody that's enlightened by the Lord, this is it. They realize I'm a sinner and I need a Savior, that I'm apart from God, I'm on my way to hell. I realize that Jesus died for me. Now, all of a sudden, it's been enlightened to them. They see it. That's like when Jesus told Peter, he said, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. But my Father in heaven, that's enlightened. Somebody now has a revelation of who Jesus really is. Number one, they've been enlightened. Number two, they have tasted of the heavenly gift. That means they've been born again. Then it says, they've been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. That's number three. That's when you're a partaker of the Holy Spirit, you have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. You've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know His presence. Okay? Then number four, they have tasted of the good word of God. In other words, they're off the milk and now they're on the meat. And number five, and the powers of the age to come, they have now begun to operate in the gifts. So let me spell this out for you because I'm about to give you a scripture that's probably going to shock you. If somebody has been convicted, they've been born again, they now they have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. They've, they're on the meat of the Word of God. They're operating in the gifts. There's a level now of maturity. They're no longer in first and second grade. Now they're in spiritual college. They've grown up. They're mature in the faith. Listen to what it says. If they fall away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls on it, brings forth vegetation useful to those whose sake it is tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless and close to being cursed and ends up being burned. What it's saying there is, if these people have become mature in the faith and they fall away from the faith, it's impossible that they're renewed again because they'd be crucified in the Son of God all over a second time. It's not talking about baby Christians. It's talking about those that have become mature in the faith. They know what they're doing. You understand what I'm saying? That's like the blasphemy of the Spirit. Jesus was rebuking the Pharisees and Sadducees. These were people that were mature enough and should have known better. You understand? These were the educated religious leaders. I get concerned about these preachers that you hear speaking against the Spirit. They're matured enough to know better. They have the Bible. There's grace and mercy for baby Christians about a lot of things. God's very merciful. But when you start getting into mature Christians and mature preachers of the gospel, there's an expectation there that God has on them. That they they better practice what they preach. They better read that Bible and know it. And they better be the real deal behind closed doors. Proverbs 9.10 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. God wants us to understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning. And he wants us to start having knowledge of the holy. Did you start learning about the holy things of God? I love, I heard Brother Rodney Howard Brown talk about it. He said, you know, taking up the, the offertory, taking the offering is holy. He's saying that money is holy unto God. You don't play with that. You don't manipulate people and, and operate in witchcraft and try to, try to manipulate and trick people and deceive people into emptying their bank account to you because you're some charlatan. Let me tell you something. Listen. The fear of God better get those people and they better repent because one of these days there's going to be hell to pay. 
Luke 12, 4, he said, I say to you, Jesus said, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that have no more that they can do to you. But I warn you whom you should fear. Fear the one who, after he kills the body, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, him, I tell you, fear him. Jesus told us, you, my followers, you fear him that can put you into hell. You have a healthy fear for him. Don't you lose that fear for him. It concerns me when people talk about Jesus as their little homeboy, their little buddy. I remember whenever Jesus showed up at that, that man's church. And this, this man, just listening to him talk, my wife will tell you, he, he seems to me to be a holy man of God. And this holy man of God that really lives the life, and I believe he does, I believe there's an innocence and a purity about this man, that he, he thought, I'm a dead man. This is the day that I die. And he fell out under the power, and he, that's how holy. I'm going to tell you, Jesus is not your little buddy. And I remember him saying, and I love the quote, he said, I didn't feel like going up to Jesus and giving him some knuckles, slapping him on the back, let's high five. He said, no. He said, the fear of God. He said, I fell out under the fear of God and felt like I'm a dead man. Isn't that scriptural? When John saw Jesus in his resurrected state and felt like a dead man prostrate before him. Isaiah had a, had a vision of the Lord and saw him high lifted up. And said, what did he do? Woe is me, I'm an unclean man. I believe one of the things missing today is the fear of the Lord. People talk all the time about the love of God. And God does love people. God's capacity for love is more than you and I understand. He is love. You and I, the most loving person you've ever met in your life, only has a thimble full of God's love. God is love. I mean, you understand the love of God. The incredible patience that God has with all of us. He's slow to anger. He's rich in love. The Bible's clear. But at the same time, you want to, when you when the sword divides, you want to fall on the side of His love and mercy because you're repenting and getting right with Him. You do not want to fall on the side of the sword where judgment and wrath is coming. You understand that? It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And there's going to come a time where God has extended His mercy and grace to somebody. He's extended to them. Come to Jesus. Repent of your sin. Get things right with me. Deal with it. I'm, I'm extending grace to you. It's a warm season of grace that one day will turn into a chilling season of judgment and wrath in their life if they do not respond. They, they rejected the kindness of God and they will see His fierce wrath and His judgment. And that's what's going to happen on the world. The Bible says God's going to pull out His bride. I'm going to tell you something. The judgments, if you read the book of Revelation, the sealed judgments are bad. The trumpet judgments get worse. And the bowls of wrath are unbearable. And the whole time, you'll read the scriptures, it says, even though the wrath of God was coming on the earth, the people still refused to repent of their sin. And so more wrath came. So here's what I want to close with. My second closing, sorry about that. I, earlier I thought I was a little closer to it. But it says, how to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If you love me, keep my commandments. It's not hard. We know the Lord says if you've been a liar, quit lying. If you've been a thief, quit stealing. If you've been having sex outside of marriage, stop it. If you've been looking at pornography, quit it. 
dump the alcohol down the drain, flush the drugs down the toilet. Okay? If you've got relationships in your life that are not right with God, sever ties, get away from it. Quit going to places that are wicked. When people want to sit around these clubs and stuff, what are you doing there? If, if you take a group there to witness, great. But if you're going there to party, you ain't right. You know? Anyway, if you love me, keep my commandments. This is what Jesus said in John 15, 4. I love this. Abide in me. A branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. You're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they will gather them and cast them into fire and they will be burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you wish, you'll be done for. There's parables Jesus taught about a tree that would not bear fruit. And he said, cut it down and burn it. And the servant said, wait Lord, one more year, let me till around it, I'll fertilize it, let's see if we can get some fruit out of this thing. Come back next year, it wasn't bearing any fruit. He said, cut it down. And Jesus said here there's people that are in him and there are vines that are connected to him but they're not bearing fruit, they're not right. Eventually they'll be cut off and thrown in the fire. What else could that mean other than end up in hell? What else can it mean? But if you abide in me, you know what abiding in the Lord is? Fellowship. You spend time with him. You pray, you talk to him, you stay in church. You know, you're just abiding in him. And he said, my words abide in you. That you stay in the word of God. Read his word. Get it in you. If you will abide in me and my words abide in you. He said, then you can ask whatever you wish and be done for you. If you see the awesomeness here of God's love, ask whatever you want to me. I'll do it. And then on the other side, if you don't abide in me, you'll be cut off and thrown in fire. I mean, this is a big, <laughs> big separation. Evan Roberts teaches on revival and he said all sin must be confessed to God leaving no clouded issues between you and God. If you want revival, you've got to confess everything before God. I'm going to give people a chance tonight to get right with God. But you have to confess your sin before God. Number two, you must forgive everybody. I'm sorry if you went through something horrible. I've been through some pretty rough things. My wife will testify. I've had to forgive some things that were pretty despicable. I'm going to tell you, if you don't forgive other people and you end up in hell one day, it's not going to be because I didn't warn you. We have to forgive everybody. Don't leave one person. I'll forgive all these people but that person. Don't do that. Just forgive. Listen, God had to forgive you. You know, if God can show mercy and forgive us, we should be able to forgive other people. Just give it to God. He'll deal with it. You must obey the Holy Spirit quickly and completely. Evan Roberts said you must obey the Holy Spirit quickly and completely. And number four, listen to this. You better make things right with people that you've wronged. Are y'all hearing me? I want you to be ready for when the Lord comes. I want you to be ready if something happens, God forbid, and you die pretty soon. I want you to be ready to be with the Lord. Get all the sin under the blood. Forgive everybody you need to and make things right with people. If you have sinned against somebody and you've really hurt them, you need to apologize to them. Some people, it's hard to apologize. It's a pride. You've got to humble yourself and be willing to make things right. If you stole from them, then do your best to make things right. Go back to them. What can I do to make things right? Make things right with people. Are you hearing me? 
There's people that have done despicable things in church. They've, they've, um, man, you'd be surprised what preachers have gone through. I, I've talked to preachers. I've been through just the the Christians that they're so critical and so hateful toward preachers and just just despicable toward them. And then and then they'll they'll leave and they'll gossip and tear up churches and, and hurt people. And you never hear about them coming back and apologizing about anything. I'm going to tell you something. Jesus said, what you do to the least of these, you've done it to me. And if you don't make things right with people, there's people out there right now, I can think of people in my mind that, that have been very critical and very hateful, even toward me, but I'm talking about just all preachers, and, and have been not right. They've been disrespectful. They've been dishonoring. They've been divisive. They've hurt people. They've lied about people. They've hurt people in church. They've hurt preachers. And they're out there. And if they don't make things right by going and apologizing and make things right, I wonder if they're really going to be ready when the Lord comes. But you know, the rapture is God's mercy. Think about it for a minute. If you and I don't die, but we live to see the catching away. Think about all the people that are still going to be here that were playing games. If they would have died, they'd be in hell. But they're alive and they saw catching away and they realized, I'm left back here. I'm not right. It's going to be a major wake-up call today. But I don't want you to be left behind one day. I don't want you to enter eternity not really know for sure where you're going to spend eternity. I want you to make sure that things are right. How many of you guys can think of some people right now maybe you need to apologize to? I've heard of people getting saved in our ministry. They went to their parents and apologized because they've been really hurtful and disrespectful. Praise God. I've heard of all kinds of things like that. You need to make things right. And I believe this, and then Ever Roberts said, don't quench the Spirit. But I believe this, the Holy Spirit is preparing a bride. There's a deep consecration going on in River of Life of the blood of Jesus right now. There's a deep work. As we take communion, I'm telling you, there's a deep work. There's a washing of the water of the Word, like tonight. You know what this sermon did for you tonight? It's the washing of the water of the Word. And one of these days, when we get into heaven, there's going to be a, a few people... They're going to look over at me and go, thank you for telling me like it was because I wouldn't be here. Amen? I'm going to hear that from some people. And there's going to be other preachers here too. Because if they hadn't heard the word preached, they wouldn't have known. And they would have continued down that path of destruction. Right now, people are laying their lives on the altar and there's a purifying fire of the Spirit of God purging them. The Holy Spirit is teaching and convicting and revealing things to you. Abide. Make sure you abide in that fellowship with the Holy Spirit and stay in the Word. And let me say this. Stay in church. Don't allow the devil to get you out of church. Man, I've seen people today. Listen to me. We're going to pray here in just a moment. But I've seen people. I can tell you I've seen people in River of Life. That I've seen them roll around the floor under the power of God. God has healed them of things. I mean, they have testimonies of, of physical, mental, emotional healings. They've been delivered of things. They've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. All this they received in River of Life under the power of God. And some of them, right now, are living in unrepentant sin. 
Thanks to social media, Facebook, I see a lot of stuff I don't want to see, to be honest. I see people that at one time walked with God, that now their posts are all profanity, explicit sexual things, they're out partying, they're in bars, they're living in sin. What happened to them? They were touched by God, but they chose that life. It's a choice, and the Lord does not take away your free will. They used their free will to come in, and now they've used their free will to go right out and live in sin. And if they don't repent and get things right with God, when they die, they're going to perish. Here's what I want to do. I want to take a moment. I want everybody to really seek God about some things tonight. Is there some sin that's clouding things between you and God? Is there some people you need to forgive? Is there some people that you need to make things right with? You need to go to them and apologize and make things right. I've had to humble myself and do that. I've even had to humble myself and apologize to people that should have been apologizing to me. But I want to make sure everything's right between me and the Lord. I don't want anything. So Lord, I'm asking you right now. Can you come on the keyboard, please? I'm asking you right now, Lord, in Jesus' name, just to release your Holy Spirit, release conviction. Let's spend a few minutes here. Those that are live streaming, let's make sure that we get everything right with the Lord. <laughs> I'm telling you tonight, there was a new level in this place. And things are going to keep increasing. And God is wanting it to, to us to go deeper in Him. Can we shut down recordings?